everybody, it's episode 61 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is with me. Hey, Steve. Hello, podcast world. We are excited to bring you episode 61. In this case, we have a guest host on, Kevin Leahy, who has been a guest host with us before. He is here to talk about coach-athlete communication, and in particular, he's fascinated by the the magic, the artistry of coach-athlete emails. And so he's going to be diving into that topic with us today, which came to us really because he suggested it. And yeah. And we're sort of like, okay, let's do it, Kevin, because Kevin always, through his Socratic method, always elicits interesting conversations. So he'll be taking us through that. And as a part of it, we've sent him a bunch of our coach-athlete communication so he could kind of prep that way. And then we're just going to dive in and let him, let him lead us. We were a little dubious at first, Chris, about whether or not this would be a, yes. a, a, an effective um, podcast. And those of you who are also looking at the title or thinking about this one and thinking maybe it's not, we promise it's worth it. It's, it's worth got it. some good stuff in it. Take so, a listen for sure. Yep. And so we'll get to that with Kevin in a second. As we always do, we've got some current events and a lot of them to talk about in this case. We did some predictions on U.S. cross-country championships in Tallahassee this past weekend and Steve and I we've got to vet ourselves against those predictions so we'll start on the men's side Steve and I I have to pat myself on the back because I did you got to have me eat a little crow I did nail the top three at least in Leonard Career with the win Galen Rupp for second as we both had but then I was able to nab the third place in Stanley Cabani who I think with a K to go, he was in sixth or seventh, but he had a massive kick to barely out kick Evan Jager for third place. And then Evan, the steeplechase world champion medalist, finished fourth to yeah. narrowly, mi- narrow, near, narrowly miss the podium. And in this case, we were talking about Rupp and what might be his strategy, and he was, a, he was one of the aggressors in this one, which was cool to see. Yeah, I think it really played out kind of the way we thought you know we we thought a little bit about how that would whether Rupp was going to just sit and do what he does in the marathon which is sit around and wait or if he was going to be an aggressor and it was good to see him be aggressive and I could you definitely see a little bit more clearly why Alberto wanted that race to be um where he went you know we're seeing you know we saw Shalane running couple of 3Ks indoors, um, and it seems pretty obvious that 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 Galen's not really ready to fire with his turnover wheels, so they're definitely going a little bit of a different direction, which is pretty interesting, and it makes me as a coach want to see what they're doing. <laughs> well, and you said afterwards that this was about competing, yep. as we had suspected, that it would, would be about just sticking his nose in it. And so he made the move after 4K to kind of catch... Scott Fobble from NAZ Elite, who had kind of broken broken away a little bit about 4K. Rupp kind of led the move to bridge the gap, and then at 8K, Rupp himself tried to go for a long push to the finish, and he was able to to basically pop everybody off except for Career, who we knew probably wouldn't be popped, and who came by him fairly convincingly to even get a little celebration before he got the win. So kudos for Career because he got the the repeat here but also for Rupp because I think this shows that not only is he relatively sharp but he's also he's got his head in the game as it relates to competing which is good 
And career, as we have now commented at least 18 times on this podcast, races a lot. So he's sharp, seems to be pretty sharp all the time. So I think that's another thing, getting getting nipped by career. It's the second time that's happened, right? Didn't that happen at the 20K? Is that where they went head-to-head, or was that ch- Kip to cheer? Career Cur- has beaten him a few times. I mean, it was the 10K on the track last year. Obviously, it was more right. than just Rupp in that race, but... But didn't they run that twenty k anyway? Yeah, it maybe does. The 20K. I but think anyway. that uh, it it's they're doing different things right now. So Rupp should feel pretty confident that yeah he's he shouldn't it. be mad about this at all. No, not at all. And Cabani should be happy again. Scott Simmons group yeah shows up, puts two on the podium here, and show that again they're doing all the right things there in Colorado Springs. On the women's side, we missed it. We had both picked Seidel for the win. Emily Enfeld, who we really shouldn't have doubted, won for her first U.S. championship. That's which just is crazy to me, right? I mean, you how know, are you third in the world? She's got a world championship bronze, and yet she's never won a U.S. title, but has been in it <laughs> many times. Probably been a bridesmaid with the second place finish to Molly Huddle many times, and that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Huddle, yes. Huddle has. You know, as we say, death taxes and Molly Huddle. <laughs> that's the way it's been. And with her not in this event, it opened it up for Enfeld to win. And she did, but it kind of came down to her inside L down the finish and Enfeld out kicked her. But I think we did call this race, Chris, because we we both called it because we said we didn't know exactly where Emily was because she hasn't raced in a bit. And we didn't know where her fitness was. But if she did come in president correct, that we would pick her. So we just didn't have the intel to make that confident a pick. And so we got this, but we got that we got right. What would happen in the race pretty right. much, but we didn't get right. Third <laughs> place either. <laughs> Stephanie Bruce snuck. Wow. On we, the we totally got that one wrong. We did. We even, did I even, I even did a little bit of a diss. Dis, I totally apologize, Stephanie. If you, I'm yeah. sure you don't listen to us, but if you do, uh, you, you, I definitely feel like one of the things that's been missing from Stephanie Bruce's, um, repertoire is, Super competitive result in tight, tough races, and uh, she's had some, but she hasn't had them consistently. This was a this was a grade Big A deal. performance for her. Big deal, amazing race, especially to be Cordy Frerichs, who we know has wheels, and so to have the marathoner come down and show these steeple to up to five k and ten k athletes that hey, she can compete is a big deal. Now, this also points to something Ben Rosario has been doing with that group, the Hoka group that trains in Scottsdale with him. In Flagstaff. Flagstaff, yep. sorry. Mm-hmm. They're, they've been doing shorter stuff. You know, they've had Kellen Taylor run a mile. I think Stephanie had another race on an indoor track somewhere. So they've been kind of working this shorter end of the range just like Shalane has. And I don't know if that's stealing a page from the book there or if that's just a part of Ben's program. But It's a part of our program. It's, it's a part of yeah. every program. So it's good. It's yes. good to see. and It's, it's, it's a part well of every thinking coach's program to look at where your weaknesses are and work them outside the in the zones that um, where and when you can because – um, it's just those little things, Chris, especially on the women's side when we see the level of comp- competition that's now out there at every distance from the f- eight all the way up to the marathon. It, I, I, um, I'm going to step out on a limb, but I think in 2020, the American women's, the U.S. Olympic team, the hardest 
meet will be the U.S. Olympic trials for women. I think it will be tougher than Kenya and tougher than than Ethiopia. That's saying something. I'm standing out on a limb a little bit there. But from the eight on up, it's. I just think we're so good everywhere, um, especially if Shelby can, Houlihan and Mario Hall continue to run with what they showed us this weekend, Chris. They are, they are in really fire. good shape. Well, all of the Bowerman yes. Track Club ladies are on fire. Emily being one of them who led off the weekend with the win. But but going back to Stephanie just quickly before we go to those other results because I do want to get there is Stephanie is somebody that you can be inspired by. They can Absolutely. root for. She's a marathoner at her core and will definitely be there for the 2020 trials. And if she can convert this result into what it should mean for the marathon for her, she could be in the mix, you know, on the right on a hot day in Austin, Texas, if that's what it is, <laughs> right, on a hilly course. We can hope. You never know. So <laughs> anyway, so she's one to watch. And she's got two kids. You know, she's a mom of two, but still getting after it. And the thing I appreciate about her is the fact that she's had her ups and downs and has every reason to have retired from this sport, but is still in it and still getting better and still clearly focused. And to see the fight from her in this race, to me, is really, really inspiring. Absent whatever she might do in the future but anyway that's my stephanie bruce props for the day so a fun fun race though because you had a, a 5k 10k athlete more of a cross-country specialist a marathoner and a steepler go one through four in that race which shows you as you said why cross-country is so beautiful all right let's turn to the other meets of the weekend we had a couple big indoor meets that we haven't really touched a lot on other than individual results, but things are starting to heat up on the indoor side. Before we get to the big meet of the weekend, the Milrose Games, let's talk about the smaller one that you referenced. There was a meet in Boston at BU that had Shelby Houlihan and Mariel Hall, new to, who's new to the Bowerman Track Club. And Shelby just absolutely crushed the 3K there. Finished with the second fastest 3K ever by an American, second only to Shalane in 8.36. And Marielle wasn't too far behind her to get second there. So they kind of took what, what Emily did at U.S. Cross and just killed it there at the 3K in Boston. What do you see in that result? Well, first of all, I see a sub I see a 431 final mile in the rate in and from Shelby and a sub 6 right at 60 second final 400 with a 28 uh second lap 285 final uh 200 mm -hmm. that's just it's really solid stuff to run that fast. It's flying. And I know some people will say, well, they should have been in the they should have been in the um, Milrose race because it would have made the race better and the Milrose race which we'll talk about in a second had a lot of jockeying and positioning and moving and everything else and this race was you know set up uh, with great pacers um, uh, Sarah Brown Darren's wife was one of the pacers for yep. the race so it was set up by good pacemakers and set up just right with not very much competition I did notice Chris I dug down in the results from that race a little bit further there was a DNF from a uh, a a uh, an Ethiopian athlete that I've never heard from before, Gudaf Teske, who was basically Marielle out kicked her. So hmm. she, there were there were really three women there, but for some reason, it says that the uh, the other athlete, the Ethiopian athlete, was DQ'd for cutting in too early. So, um, but she got the full volume and it gave her time at eight forty. So Marielle just nipped her at the line. But 
So there was a little bit more competition there. That yeah. that woman's not in the Bowerman group, so she wouldn't have been just deferring. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, again, as we've been saying, it's it's hard to believe that women's distance running can get better in the United States, but it just keeps it keeps happening. Keep getting better. Keeps getting you have to believe that Shelby could have gotten the American record had she gone off with a little hotter pace from the beginning. For sure. So I, I yeah. You would think that they would might go for that at some point this season. I think it could be that it could be that they're waiting for that. And if they're in Boston, it means they're probably going to stay there. And there's other great meets coming up in Boston. Indoor games coming up. Yeah, there's a couple really good races coming in Boston. So it seems like they've done a little bit of a campaign here on the East Coast to get these down. Um, I'm very interested to see what else is going to be playing out for them as the as the season progresses. Bodes well for Marielle, too. Great, great first race for the Bowerman Track Club, and a great race for her. she and Shelby have competed against each other since they were in high school, so they know each other very, very well. Nice. Um, and uh, I think that uh, it's interesting because I don't see Shelby moving to the 10. Um, I think Shelby will stay at the 5K. Um, and maybe they didn't want Emily and Marielle to go head-to-head for what that might bode later, but who knows? It's interesting when you've got a coach who coaches athletes at who race at these same distances at the same at, at similar caliber. You better hope you've got a great community because they're going to be yeah. getting after each other at some point in time. Well, and you know Jerry has a master plan, no doubt. I think Evan Jager said in his interview after the cross country meet this weekend, he said, "I was surpri- as surprised as you guys to hear <laughs> I was doing this meet, <laughs> this race." So, I love that. I love so that. Coach Jerry said, hey, we're doing this, Evan, because I think it fits, and they follow. Now, going to Milrose, which was televised on NBC. Thank you, NBC, for at least showing the critical races. Two big miles in this one. The Wanamaker Mile is famous in the indoor track world for being one of the most prestigious miles going. And for this one, you had pretty stacked fields. For both races, it was pretty fascinating to watch. I, I was able to catch it live on NBC as it played out. The women's race went first, and you had Bowerman Track Club again showing up. Colin Quigley got the win and just edged out Kate Grace, who was coming hard. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting watching it televised because they had the line, the finish line on the track, and then they had a ribbon that they were being a tape that there was held as well that was about a meter past the true finish line. And so as you were watching it, you were kind of focused on the the tape because that's where your eye was drawn to with two people holding it. And Quigley didn't get to the tape first. Kate did. But she got to the finish line first. So <laughs> literally, had there been another meter out there, Kate would have would have nipped her. And as, you wonder if Kate, shown if Kate wasn't keying on the ribbon and she might have been but really more than that kate had bad tactics in this one and she admitted that in the post-race interview she said look i was kind of all over the place i wasn't comfortable i was getting used to an indoor track and this was done at the armory which is a famous old historic track in new york and so you could just see the entire time kate was trying to figure out where to sit versus colleen just kind of tucked in and then at the right time she moved out and went around and took the lead and basically took it with about probably about 600 400, between 400 and 600 to go Colleen took the lead and never looked back yeah I, it's great to have Colleen back I mean she's I think she's 
there's no doubt she could have been, you could have reversed the roles of Emma and Courtney Freerix and her in terms of the world championship result in steeplechase this year. She just has ran into not enough time with her injury and not getting back quite right. And um, it's great to see her running well and to see her win this race. But let's just keep this in perspective. They didn't run particularly fast. I mean, as I said, Shelby right. in a 3K ran almost as fast for the final mile. But yeah, it was um, more tactical than I think they wanted. There was a pacemaker, but nobody, but nobody went. went with it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it was, it's great to see. And Kate will Kate will be she'll be ready. She'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Colleen, the cool thing to me about Colleen Quigley, one, that's just a name to remember because she will be up there with Emma and Courtney when it comes to world steeplechasing if she can stay healthy. And so that's possible that we'll have three American women competing with the best of the world for major medals, which is really exciting. And it'll be exciting, too, to see Colleen push Emma and Courtney at the next U.S. championships. But the thing to me, I watched her interview before the meet, uh-huh. and she was so loose. She was talking about how she was swimming. You know, Now she's doing about 65 miles a week of running, and she's doing the rest of her volume in, in the pool. Wow. Not, not aqua jogging, but she's actually swimming laps. And so she was calling herself the running mermaid and kind of <laughs> just being playful about it. And she's like, that's what I have to do right now to stay healthy. But I was just taken by the looseness with which she approached it because the way she was talking about the race, she was excited about it. But this is a steeplechaser who hasn't raced a lot recently because of injury. And the fact that she's going in just that loose and just ready to roll just surprised me for somebody who's, hasn't raced a lot of indoor miles, had never raced at this meet before. To be that loose after coming off injury just goes to show you how important that is to good results is being relaxed and loose. And Absolutely. she was able to get there, and I don't know how, but it was just really impressive to me. The other thing that was interesting to me from this is Kate Grace talked about in her pre-race interview how it's been a definite adjustment going to the Bowerman Track Club <laughs> because – they work hard. She didn't say <laughs> this, but I'm reading between the lines, which is that, you know, she was probably the big dog with Kim Conley in Sacramento with Drew Wartenberg, and probably most of the time, depending on what they were doing, was leader of that group. Yeah. You know, Kim doesn't have the wheels that Kate has. So if they were doing short and fast work, Kate was probably at the front. And she was talking about how she did they did a fart leg with Shalane and she got pro broken. <laughs> <laughs> she popped off the back. She tried <laughs> to hang with the big dog, Shalane, <laughs> and it didn't work. So so she was clearly humbled by the group, but also excited about what that meant for her being pushed to a new level. So that was cool to see. But, yeah, she'll figure it out. She's going to be fine. So one comment on Colleen's, I read also that she, Kate said something to the effect of, don't be surprised if Colleen runs shorter distance races because she's got some serious wheels, which she showed in that race. But one of the reasons she, Colleen's also probably pretty calm, cool, and collected is many people who see her will recognize her as a stunning beauty. But she was also a runway model for a while where right. she literally decided against probably a more lucrative career as a model. She could have made more money than she makes as a runner now. Yep. Um, although if she won an Olympic gold medal, that would probably <laughs> flip. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she probably has a little more comfort in, in being on stages and sees a balance with things that maybe others don't so much. So, But regardless, Jesus Christ, the Bowerman Track Bowerman Club Track is just Club. moving, Killing motoring. It. Killing it. No one else is really even close at this point. But 
but we're still deep. You know, a lot of these other groups are still impressive. It's just the Bowman Track Club is just killing it. Well, Emma and you know we're going to talk about this in a second, but Emma and uh, and point. and her, her training partner Aisha Pratt, they ran eight forty one, which wasn't that too much slower. And the story of that day was uh, Carissa Schwitzer running, breaking the collegiate record. Um, Jenny Simpson's former Jen, Jenny. Um, was Jenny was named before she was Simpson? I'm already forgetting. It's crazy. Beringer. Beringer. Um, but so that's a name to be looking for, too, as well. That uh, that girl is just on fire, running incredibly well. An American, re- uh, a collegiate record, um, take, taking it from Jenny and from, uh, I think, the next best performance was Sally Kipiego. I mean, those were women who were who were world beaters at the time that they ran those times in college. And so this is, she's a real talent and showing how deep Amer- American distance running so is. So before we go there, let's talk men's want to make her mile. The men's race played out very differently in that it dawdled even more as you might expect than the women's race. And then Chris O'Hare got sick of it. UK Scottish born, I believe, athlete, and he just took it with at least 600 to go, maybe slightly longer than that. Opened up a 20 meter gap, and then, <laughs> you know, in those situations in a mile, you typically those people get caught because it's hard to lead on your own. And if you make that kind of a move, usually you're using too much energy, but he did it made the definitive move, and they started to reel him in, and, and Ben Blankenship almost got there. But <laughs> but he held him off in a really, really impressive finish. Yeah, I was surprised that that Blankenship let him go. You know, I mean, right. obviously it was a critical misstep, but he thought probably thought he could pull him back in. I think he was also in a, a spot where he couldn't respond right away, so uh, he, he didn't. He didn't have a choice, in other yeah. words. And so if he was going to respond, it would have taken even more energy. I just mm-hmm. think he was slightly in the wrong spot. But but you look at Robbie Andrews and Kyle Merber and, I mean, there was... Nick Willis. Nick Willis, who apparently had the flu that week, so I kind of give him a little bit of a pass. I just couldn't believe they let him go. Yeah. Because he was one of the favorites going in, and he had said he wanted a fast race and was actually disputing the pace that they had originally asked for from the pacemakers. So it's odd to me that they let him go, but they did, and he held on, and he kept looking back in that last lap <laughs> to see <laughs> where they were, which usually <laughs> is a sign that there's trouble, which there was, but he still held them off and got an impressive win for Chris O'Hare. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. That's It's great to see Chris still keep plugging away, and Chris is a super talented athlete. He won the NCAA championships his junior indoors his junior year, and then he choked his senior year, and um, he ran for Tulsa. But this is a guy who's a real talent, and even though he's a pommy from across the pond, we uh, I still cheer for him because he's he's a great guy, and he wins the right way, and that's a gutsy. I'd like to see, I love to see a gutsy runner get rewarded. Yes. So let's talk about that 3K at Milrose with Aisha and Emma. Going one two, and she, you know, Aisha Pratt trains with Emma now, and but has hasn't beaten Emma, no, <laughs> very much. They recently ran a mile in Colorado at seven five seventy five hundred feet, and both had amazing results. But but Aisha was second to Emma in that one. In this case, she made the move at the end to try to take it. And Emma 
start to reel her in, but just couldn't quite get there in that closing stretch. What do you think this means for their dynamic as training partners? Well, I think it helps both of them. I mean, I think now they probably had a, a, a master and servant roles that Aisha, and many people thought when Aisha went there that the roles were going to be, she was just going to be a, a, a training buddy and a, and a whipping girl. And it seems that that is not the case, as is shown here. For number one, the way that race played out, there was no deferring to right. Emma. Um, the other thing is, um, as good a technician as as and as strong and as tough as Emma is, if you'd have asked me five years ago which of the two of them would be the better steeplechaser on the world level at this point, I would have said Aisha. Mm-hmm. So there's there's Emma Coburn just li- knows how to find a finish line, and she knows how to run the steeple really, really well. But she's not a better steeplechaser than Aisha is, and she's and and I'm, it's not really that surprising because Aisha is probably a better flat runner. Right. than Emma is. Number one, I think Emma's getting better and better and better and better. To run this time for Emma is very fast for it's her. A big deal. It is a really big deal. Yep. And But it's really great to see Aisha come into her own and get a big win on a big stage and um, you know beat some other really pretty talented athletes that were in that field. I mean, that's it's no joke. Um, that was a serious race. It would have been great to see all those ladies all combined in one race, but then it would have been untenable and he would have right. seen a race that wouldn't have been it would um, it would have been different. It would have played out differently, but it bodes well. It's too bad Aisha is a Jamaican athlete because <laughs> it'd be fun to have her in the mix in the U.S. Actually, it is because well. I'm a fan of Aisha, so I get so, to, get to so when her. we get to the world, we, we get, get the world champs. You get to Fair. see her, and she gets to be on the line, and That's fair. she gets to be in the mix. And you know, if you've ever talked to Aisha, she's so she's such a she's a really wonderful human being and somebody who is doing this for the right reasons and lo- absolutely loves the sport. And it probably is still pinching herself to believe that she's in the position that she is because she came from less than less than optimal. Everybody knew Emma was going to be pretty good when they saw her in high school, and people didn't necessarily say that about Aisha. She made yep. it herself. So it's and great to see. Her name is now hyphenated, Aisha Pratt-Lear, as she married Will Lear, who right. ran terrible in the Wanamaker <laughs> Mile, by the way. I don't but even know why he's story. still doing it. But that's a different story. But Aisha is someone on the World Steeple stage who hasn't had a breakthrough there, but might, especially as she comes along with Emma in training. So that's a name to watch that you can root for wearing Jamaican vests in these world meets. So I think that covers it. Anything else from the weekend, Steve, that we should talk about? I don't think so. Oh, just that. Shadrach Kiptucher won again, raced again and won again. Yes, so, I mean, another Scott Simmons <laughs> athlete racing again and winning again. <laughs> I it's mean, crazy. It, yeah, it is crazy. I, I don't know when the wheels are going to come off that group, but who knows? <laughs> I threw a to- I did toss out an email to Scott to see if he would come on the podcast to see if we'll again, but I have got no, I got no response. But I don't think he's the kind Scott of guy Simmons, to respond. Simmons, if you're listening, we'd love to have you. Yes, on. we would love, but I doubt he's listening. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Okay, now we turn to our discussion hosted by Kevin Leahy. He's been, as we mentioned on our podcast before, episode 33, where we talked about the alchemy of running, science versus magic. Fascinating episode, so definitely go back and check that one out. As we've discussed before, Kevin is the husband of one of our rogue athletes. He's not a runner himself, unless someone's chasing him (laughs) (laughs) or he stole something. But he's fascinated by the road community and a participant in it, especially in terms of the social elements when there's beer involved. So Kevin's going to be our host of sorts, and Steve and I are going to sit back 
and kind of be the subjects for once. And and we're going to talk about, as we mentioned at the top, kind of coach-athlete communication and specifically written communication. So, Kevin, I'm going to turn it over to you. Where do you want to start? I just want to say hello, everyone. Um, thanks for inviting me, y'all. This is always a fascinating opportunity. Uh, I see it as a world of coaching and a unique world of coaching in the space of running. And I'm fascinated by what Rogue has been able to accomplish. This is another one of those really insightful moments for me, a non-runner. So I just want to let everyone know out there that when I, <laughs> when I thought up the idea of maybe looking deeper into these emails and how you create them and, and what are they for, and these are the emails that go to the group of runners y'all both are, are coaching. I asked, um, I asked for some examples. And so I want to kind of kick this off by saying I had no idea what y'all <laughs> were writing in those emails. So I, I give that to the listener that this is a non-runner that needed a lot of guidance. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> I'd like to share some of my non-knowledge with y'all by way of questions. And hopefully these coaches will elicit some, some key answers. So y'all, if you're listening and you're a runner in a group, you probably have gotten at least one or two emails. And if you're in uh, the groups of these fellas, uh, then you've gotten a lot of emails. I've seen uh, several of them. So my first question to both of you, and I guess I'll start with you, Chris, and uh, if we can just kind of toggle back and forth, I'll try to invite you to let the other guy give a go. But Chris, why read your particular emails? If I'm in your runner group, why am I reading your email? What, what's your thoughts? So, well, first of all, I, just for context, for people that are, who aren't in my group, I do send a two, typically two emails a week, both very different in terms of their purpose. The first I send on a Tuesday before our Wednesday workout that basically just has the details of what they're doing during our quality work on Wednesday. It's typically a shorter, more brass tack sort of email of here's what to expect tomorrow during the workout. Here's what I expect of you. So that comes on Tuesday. Then on Thursday, sometimes Friday, depending on the week, I send a longer email that explains what they're doing on Saturday for their long run, but also gives a lot more content, typically some training tips, some reminders from me as their coach. I might comment on some events that are coming up that I recommend for them. And also I send every week a, a inspirational note of some sort linking to a quote, an article, a blog, something I think might uplift them in some way. And so that comes, so my longer email is sort of a Thursday email. And so there's reasons, my reasons are different for the two. One, the first one on Tuesday is more just about conveying information. People need to know what to do when they show up. And so why read is to just know what you're up to. Know what you're up to. And, and sometimes there's nuance there. We might have a particularly tough workout and I want to make sure that they're mentally stealing themselves for that workout. And, you know, we can talk about some of the games I play <laughs> or we play with that. You know, sometimes you're playing a little bit of a psychological game and game maybe not be the right word, but you're trying to achieve a certain psychological outcome, outcome to prepare them mentally for the workout the next day. Do you in think addition you're conveying to conveying that in the, and I know Steve wants to chime in, but real quick on the psychological game, do you think they're, um, they're acknowledging that when they're reading or do they, are they unaware that that's mm. kind of part of the game? Game's the, the wrong word because I'm not trying to like trick them He's in any way. He's lying to them. I, it was <laughs> He's Steve lying lies. to them. I typically them. don't lie. I, I typically don't lie. But <laughs> it, it, it's usually just I may, I may be trying to achieve a certain psychological outcome. Okay. And 
so, so usually so that's a pretty straightforward to, thing, to but make it's sure, not always. To make sure that's more like why you're writing, but I'm focusing on why you're reading. So the first, two, the main structure of what you're doing is on a on a. Um, so why should Tuesday people read night. to yeah. get that information? One, and then on the second piece, the second email on Thursday. The second email, yeah. which is more has more information. It's I think in order to fully get what you want out of my program as a coach, you need to read that email because it conveys things that you can't get by just executing a workout. So there's a- an access factor for you that these emails are helping you accomplish. Access and understanding, trying to build their wisdom as athletes. Okay, that's great. And what about you, Chris? I mean, uh, <laughs> Steve. It's all good. I'm on Steve now. Mm-hmm. What about why read your emails? Because, okay, so my, my just t- since Chris gave a little context of how he yeah. What he are your sent emails? his emails? Yeah. <coughs> I send an email whenever I feel like it. <laughs> no joke. Sometimes it has um, a week's worth of workouts. Sometimes it'll have four weeks worth of workouts. But you read my workouts. You read my email because you want to know the specifics of the workout that you do. Chris and I both write what we call a macro cycle, which is a bigger picture of the entire year that then needs some dialing in and some specifics. And so I make sure that the athlete who does read it is prepared for the workout that they want to run, that they, and, and to execute the workout the way that we want. That's why an athlete, my athlete should read my email. You bet. So, so I'm hearing from both, and I hear you uh, leaning in, Chris, but so preparation for sure is a big key for why I read these things. You want to be prepared for what you're up to. And then... Steve, you have also, and I noticed this in some of your emails, you have even documents you share with them. You have sort of a long, uh, like a mid-range or a longer range, and then there's always the real short range, what we're about to do. Is that fair? Yeah, so there's a big picture. Uh, there's, um, well, occasionally I, I do talk about what Chris is saying in his third, in his, in his second weekend, his, his second email of the week, in that it, I would call it Intel and inspiration and that's what I do that occasionally but mostly that's because I woke up that morning on the right or the wrong side of the bed and I decided (laughs) that this particular group of people needed to hear from me about this particular issue occasionally they I feel what they need to read is the information I'm telling them but I always am coming first from the point of view of X's and O's and not inspiration but again, that might be why you write, which I'm about to get into. So I keep slipping in. That's that. all yeah. good, but it's <laughs> it's why they read. Because I'm really curious, Chris. Did you have some comments before I pop well, another I just, question? As I, I guess, as I reflect on what I said before, ultimately, we're both trying to build mastery at some level with with our athletes, and in order to become a master craftsman as a runner, then you have to understand why. And you have to understand some of the technical elements that go into what I tell them. And so if you don't read that information, it's fine. You know, you can still execute a program. You can still probably have a good race. But I don't think you're going to get as much out of a program with me unless you read and internalize that information and then learn from it over time as you sort of experiment with the application. Because when people are new, you know, just like you said, as a non-writer, this is Greek to me. I'm sure when new people join my group, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't understand some of these words he's using. But 
as they read and understand and then apply and, uh, you know, and then maybe see me follow up on that point again later, they're going to get more and more as they go. And I have people that have trained with me for seven years that are master craftsmen of sorts that I, and I've built that in them through that mode of communication. Yeah, I heard it said. Um, and, and to be fair, it's probably it's probably begging a second podcast just to hear from readers that do have <laughs> sure. something to say about why they're reading because y'all are writing these things it's presumptive to think you know <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> why anyway because yes. my question you asked the question though kevin <laughs> my, my question to both of you is what percentage do you think and what percentage of your respective groups do you think are reading these things like and i mean thoroughly reading them well i think that about you know 60 to 80 percent of the people that i send the email out, out to who are actively engaged in the running process at that point because that's <laughs> another, a lot of categories. Well, that's another caveat just Caveats. because sometimes people are not in a main training phase you bet. and no one's reading my email for some of the things that they're reading Chris's for. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I'm much more X's and O's than Chris's. So if somebody's when not you say in X's and O's, what do you mean? What? Where we're meeting for the workout, what time we're meeting for the workout, what the workout actually is, what those paces that I want them to run it is. And, and, uh, and very occasionally I'll even tell them what they might feel. But I really try what's to... What's the play? What's, yeah, what's he's, the play? He's calling plays. I'm calling <laughs> plays and then I like to wait. I don't... I, you know, honestly, Kevin... X in well, and O's is a football match. I distrust the email. F I just distrust it and, and generally to begin with. And I know that most of the magic that I create happens on oh, the course. And so sends it out early. Distrust of the email. Yes. That he sends anyway. So, yeah, well, I have to send it because my people want to read it. That's why I, I may be wrong, but I believe that this large <laughs> number, I think this large number percentage of people read it because they want to know where to go. All right. And I if mean, I don't send it, they lose that their That begs shit. the question to Chris. Chris, do you distrust the emails you send? This is this is news. I, we well, just look, Steve's an orator, right? That's his strength. You connect through you connect to Steve by his energy, and that's how he conveys things. Emails right? can't convey energy. energy? <laughs> they can. I'm teasing. But not as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where his distrust comes from. But you, do you distrust the email as, as a vehicle? No, I take it for what it is. You know What is it? One well, one I'm a visual person who understands communicating or, or understanding myself through written word. So it kind of is in my wheelhouse <laughs> because it's my personal preference. But, but more than that, I actually, I don't actually care whether people read my emails or not. Like I'm truly agnostic to whether or not people read my emails. I think people think I care. And so they always feel apologetic or they're apologetic or feel guilty when they tell me, Oh, well, I didn't read that. I'm like, I actually could care less you didn't write it for you to I read it you wrote it, it for other reasons well i wrote it because i know there will some there will be some people that need it communicated that way and there's others that don't and that's okay so for me i think 15 percent of the people in my group read my whole y you may email. be speaking more of your thursday email than your tuesday email or yeah tuesday is probably a little higher because there's more technical because I think, info, but in fairness to Steve, you know, both of your your Tuesday and Steve's emails, that many of them that I saw, these X and O's you're talking about, what's the play? I mean, it would be a little bit rough for one of the group members not to read those, show up at the wrong place at the wrong time and run the wrong course. I mean, that would be terrible. Well, but I, I think Steve's overestimating. <laughs> I think 
I think I very well maybe. I think he is because I th- ultimately <laughs> look, speaks to somebody I mean, in the here's group. The thing. When it comes to X's and O's, play calling, workout details, we both communicate that multiple times, right? We're doing it in an email before. We're doing it that morning before on a whiteboard before they go out on the whiteboard, and then oftentimes we're doing it once we get to our destination again. And repetition being the mother of learning. Yeah, and you just you whatever. Some people hear things differently, so. You know, I know some people might not read the email, but would read the whiteboard or whatever. So what percentage are reading yours? I, Tuesday email, I'd put it at 50. All right. Um, Thursday email, I put it at 15% with the caveat that that's the whole thing. I intentionally outline or number and kind of bullet point that Thursday message so that people could skim it for what they're interested in and then dive into a section if they want to. So I think 15% of the reading the whole thing, I think the rest are either picking out pieces or not reading it at all. And that's fine. I honestly it don't It may be care. fine, but now I want to challenge both of you. I'll, tr- I'll start with Steve, but like, let's just presume that you become very wealthy each extra reader you get of your email. Like, there's, I'm giving you a demand for getting more readership. <laughs> Help the listener understand why the read should happen, why 100% is absolutely the right number. Steve, <clears throat> because they're not getting the full value of their experience if they're not prepping in advance. Um, and the few times that I the the relatively few times that I do put more color in my emails, um, they're really, really fucking good. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're missing just, something. Just they're not trust getting, in, in yeah. the presence of excellence. I distrust the ability <laughs> for the in, email for the people to read it. The ability people to be ready to take in the information that I send them. So I don't look at it as a format that I really. Count All right, I got on. two words out of you: prep, preparation, and value. What else you got? Like, why do you want? What What's compelling the reader not reading right now to read? Um, I honestly I don't think that there's much more. I think that that's enough in particular for your for your form of email. But I do but now if I can extrapolate just a little bit if I I'm now seeing the incredible value that Chris's athletes are getting out of his Thursday email and that that is not something I'm going to do anytime soon so team rogues don't <laughs> don't expect that to change but I do see that um, there's a body of work there and, a, and an ongoing as Chris said a, a sort of boot camp or a um, apprenticeship that he's working on to get those athletes to really believe that this is a path with heart. And yeah, he referred to mastery. Do you think your emails over time aid in that? I don't think so. Right, right. I don't think that that's where I go with the email format. But there is, and, and value, part of the value from Steve, your emails, and then I want to ask you, Chris, the same question, but seems to me to be this the details with which you provide the play that speaks to years of work on those details can you can you speak a little bit about to the reader like reader here's what you're reading when you see this yeah so <clears throat> you're asking me to delineate sort of what it is that that it says it'll so my email basically will start with some introductory statements general but very little of that in fact if i could get away with it most of the time i'll just start the first line is tuesday february blank 2018 Meet at Rogue, 5.30 a.m. Um, the workout as it is, so let's say two times, two times 400, two times 800, one times 1,600, two times 800, one times 
two times 400, so a ladder. That's the play. That's the play. Paces at these paces, which is another part of the play. And then um, it'll say what the recovery or the recuperation is. And then it'll go Thursday, what we do. And then it'll be Saturday, yeah, yeah, yeah. what That's we do. That's a good example. And we're going to talk about why you write that. But I want to hear from you, last, last voice from you. And then I want to hear from Chris. What's the... What, why, why does the reader that's not reading that want to just, why is there a compelling need to read what you just talked about is in your emails? Because my workouts are really hard and they're, they're not, and they're a little complicated sometimes. And to be effective at training, um, it's best to go in as loosey goosey as I am. And as much as I love to have people act in the moment and be free. They need some guidance before they walk into that uh, to get the most out of that. So session. there's a sense that this email gives instruction that is preferably done exactly as it's described. Correct. When I coached at the University of Texas, the women at the University of Texas, they got no email from me. They showed up to that day and they got the work. That was it. And I might foreshadow a little bit, but they didn't know what was going on. When I coached my post-collegiate athletes, I used a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and Team Rogue, the group that I coach at Team Rogue, it is purely an information device for me at that point. So I'm going to ask you to just think anything else when we talk to Chris, because I know Chris has a little bit of a different approach. I'd like to hear, Chris, I'm going to say to you that I think for every extra reader you get than the 15% on the Thursdays, I'm going to give you an extra 500 bucks. So you're going to make a lot of money if you can get to 100%. <laughs> so... and. And actually, you want the money. <laughs> so what do you think is the most compelling reasons for the non-reader to start really devoting that attention? Well, I've got a few things to say here because, and I'm not going to answer the question directly yet, <laughs> which is more like a Steve thing to do, but here we are. First of all, I read these emails because I'm an, an athlete in his group. And so I want to start to answer this question from the perspective of an athlete reading his email, which is that typically I'll read his email in four line blocks as we go, right? So if I'm in hardcore training mode, it's like <coughs> search Don Patrol on my inbox, Steve's email pops up click into it and look at the workout that we have for that week, that day, whatever, just to see what it is. Typically, I'll do that again one or two times, sometimes more, before a workout. And part of it is nervous tick, maybe. Just like, is it still the same? Was that as hard as it looked the first time? <laughs> you know? So you're speaking about the need for confirmation. And which so is I'm like, do I remember what the rest was? You know, what's the pace on that interval? And so I'll go back to confirm and also to basically prepare my mind for what's to come in that workout. And so I think that's a big part of it as a reader is using it as a mental preparation tool to prepare your mind for the workout. So you get the most out of the workout. And also so you're not sitting there asking Hey, Steve, what's the rest? You're focused on the task at hand when you show up. Yeah, it's a really interesting point about the use of energy in the run. I mean, I, I'm, pretty, I'm well apprised of the need for maximum energy on these long runs. And that's a really good point, that mental energy is an energy expense. And these emails can reduce 
that uncertainty, which is actually an energy drain from a brain perspective. Awesome. Yeah. No, that, yes. that was a really good point. Thank you for that so input. So that's one thing. But this question As it relates to me and earning more money. <laughs> my, my this next is, again, to c- connect the, the listener. My this next, is, my this next is how to grab. It, this, and it was compelling to me when I heard that people aren't reading these emails. I found it kind of odd. So I wanted to know. So obviously, the listeners that are reading the emails, awesome, because you're getting the value. But I get the listeners that's like, yeah, but come on. I got a lot of stuff to do, etc. So help right. them understand from the perspective of how you prepare emails and why and all that. Why read these things? Well, I'll save my other digression, but brass tacks of it is they're paying me to coach them. So why wouldn't they consume what they're paying for? Well, part they don't understand the value. What they're part, what a part of what they're paying for is the information I convey on those Thursday emails. And I think that they're not consuming it. And my assumptions may be wrong here, but my, my thought in those that don't consume it is either that they don't want it as much as somebody else. Or maybe they don't consume information well through visual means. And those are both fair. I mean, you can't you can't knock somebody who either, you know, just isn't that interested or somebody who just can't get the value. It's not that they yeah. don't want it. And so for the former, the person who can get value from it but is choosing not to, then the question becomes, well, how bad do you want whatever you're paying me to give, which at the simplest level is help them achieve a goal, right? And so why would you throw away your own money relative to gathering resources that are right in front of you in order to achieve a goal that you say you want. And I think that's super compelling. I mean, you know, as a, as a coach myself and I do more executive stuff, I would say that it's very common that people know what they need to do, but they just don't do it because the drive isn't there. So I think it's interesting for a listener to think about what you just said, that it turns out it's your decision. And in particular with these group emails, you don't know who's reading them or not. You, well, you know, you, Kevin, you said if I could get paid X amount of dollars more if they read it, I could tell you what would happen, though. I would start changing the workouts from what I wrote on the on the email enough to make them start reading them. So <laughs> I very rarely change my workouts. I used to change them all the time. Chris can attest to this. I've been coaching you for how long? Like seven years or something, yeah, six yeah. or seven years. And I used to be terrible. Like whatever workout was on Tuesday, I would change my mind. I'd move it to Thursday. I'd do something else. Um, Chris is laughing. By I don't the know. Way. It's all I don't, true. I don't know why I did that. I think it was a lot of the a lot of that feeling of trying to get the experience that the UT girls had when I coached them was that they did so. It was it just created a different training environment. And now I feel like that that's why I write it is so that my athlete, as Chris said, so my athlete is prepared and that they're getting the most for what they're doing and so that they're not stressed and they're they're coming in and as calm and cool and as collected as possible. You're now right. I do occasionally change the workout anyway, occasionally, but most of that is because I knew in advance I wanted to elicit the different change. As Chris said, you use the term game, but you don't really mean it's it's more just making sure that they're coming and showing up and being ready for some unusual thing to happen because that's what happens on race day is it not going to script, it not going the way you think it's gonna go and you want them to have an opportunity to have practiced all the different scenarios that might be challenging for them. And let's go, because that starts to be why you write, and I love it. But Chris, do you have more comments about why they read? Well, I just want to clarify that I don't know that it should matter to me. Oh, you made that clear. If they're you know, reading or not, yeah. You, you indicated, yeah. rightfully so, you're agnostic. You, yeah. you may or may not care. I mean, obviously, a part of you, 
there has to be as a human, you know, there's some desire. No one would just keep on babbling if nobody was. <laughs> I don't know. Chris is a, <laughs> not that Chris is a babbler, not that Chris is a babbler, but Chris is really good at deciding what he thinks needs to be done and doing it anyway, no matter what, well, to be sure that, that they is got, admirable. They, no, it is. It truly yeah. is. It's one of those things. Like if I, if people weren't reading my email and I knew they weren't, I would not write it. There is no <laughs> way that I would look at it and say, this is doing what, it, if it's not getting, eliciting the response I want, it wouldn't be happening. Cause this is a great segue. Cause guys, it was very clear to me as a novice and i've got to speak for, on behalf of the audience of readers of your emails the time energy effort heart that you put into these emails is crazy mm -hmm. it's <clears throat> nuts so and, and i can i know this and i'm not even running these and i know this because the amount of content and see yours are in particularly precise clarity because the content is in like four lines but it's it's years of development, et cetera. And I even asked you, like, is it guesswork? It was kind of a game t to even suggest it's guessing. I knew the answer wasn't, but <laughs> but I want to make sure. So why don't we get into this? And, and Steve, why don't you start off with why are you writing? Particularly because you've already demonstrated distrust in this vehicle and you've demonstrated that you wouldn't do it at all if you didn't have readers. So why write these things? Um, I write them because I feel like they are... Uh, in in two reasons. Number one, because I want my it, the altruistic reason is because I want my athletes to know what they have coming up, and so they can be adequately prepared. That's um, exactly I write it for the exact same reasons that I want them to read it, right? But there's another piece which is a little more selfish, and it's that this is what good coaches do. <clears throat> this is how coaches make their scratch, and um. I would be, I would love to read other coaches' emails. I, the benefit of reading occasionally, getting to read a wide variety of rogue coaches' emails because I'll ask them to send them to me occasionally and I'll get some feedback. But I would love to read Jerry Schumacher's emails to his athletes or, or another, or Joe V. Hills or somebody. You know, not all of them probably write them, but just looking at that, I would love. To, it would, I would be able to tell a lot of information as a coach what, looking at another coach's stuff. So it's kind of like, I, I feel like it's like what we do. As, it's, a, it's become what we do as a coach. And honestly, I'm not sure that I also write it for one other reason, which is I don't think I'd be as good a coach if I didn't write it down because I'm not as organized and as detail-oriented as Chris is. And I write a macro cycle well in advance. That's the big picture for six months way in advance. And I can't remember. <laughs> what the next workout's going to be. And I won't go back to that document I wrote. I have a real aversion to going back and looking at things that I've done. And so I want to be sure that I'm being the best coach I can and that I'm being consistent and that I'm seeing execution in a way. I'm a way better coach now than I was seven years ago because of emails, honestly. Oh, that's and awesome. that's another reason why I write it is I'm holding my own self accountable to the low, to the kind of work I want my athletes to do and the standard I hold myself to. And so you believe to kind of and note that you believe that these emails do make your runners better. No, I would. I truly, truly believe they do, which is another compelling reason why they should read it. But. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, what about you? Why, why are you writing these things? So I mentioned the idea of conveying mastery and wisdom. So I won't belabor that point. But for me, it's become a part of the culture of my group. It's consistency. It's just like we have workouts on Wednesdays and long runs on Saturdays. You get emails from me on Tuesday and Thursday. 
And as I mentioned, I think offhand before we came on, you know, Google held my Tuesday email in the <laughs> ether one well, day. Explain this a little bit. And so well, yeah, so, so to, let me ask ago. a question. Has there ever been a time where you prepared an email, you thought you sent the email and didn't go out? Yeah, that has happened. And in this case, it, it actually went out, but, but Google thought it was spam. And so they just held it. In the interwebs? In the interwebs. And I didn't know that it hadn't been delivered. They hadn't messaged or Google hadn't given me a kickback on that. And my people were too afraid to ask until somebody finally did that evening. Like, where's the email? Or I didn't get it. And so I resent it, and they held it again in the ether. <laughs> in the ether. And so it wasn't until the next morning on Wednesday I came in, and everybody was hold the phone well, though. What's everybody this? Everybody was scared to what's even. What's this? Too mention. afraid. I need to know more about that. No, they were like, it's like somebody sheepishly came up. It's like, did you send the email? But you like, know? why would there be fear involved? Is that uh, the right all, emotion? All coaches, all coaches, I mean, in one way or another, use <laughs> they thought, fear and manipulation they thought to I was get what trying, they need to get they done. Says, I was trying to achieve says some magician Sisson. You know, they thought it was some thing that I was trying to achieve by not sending it. Some test. There I was think. some game, so they yeah, didn't want to like out the game. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to use that uh, one as an excuse case, for why my emails <laughs> don't go and out. In this case, I I just didn't know. Confefe. And but. I meant to say that. But as a result, like literally the whole energy of the group was different that morning because the cadence of that was communication off. was off. And and to me, consistency in training is so important. We preach that all the time. You know, are you running consistently from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year? That's how you achieve outcomes in running. And I think the email is a a part of the cadence of consistency that has become a part of the culture of my group that sets the tone. That's awesome. So, so what, I, I mean, this is kind of probably more for Steve. I, I, some, some listeners may want to know, like, why did you write the first email? Like what, when and why, and like, was there benefit? Did you just have the need? Yeah. So when we first started rogue, we, um, paid money for a pretty, pretty robust backend for the time that that we had we we spent a lot of money on our website and um we utilized um the website's interface and a forum to disseminate all the information that we needed to this was in you know, the early aughts which it was pretty unusual to have that level of service but it was the internet was coming into its own and we thought it was a great way for us to do things and um we found over the two to three years over th two or three years, maybe even three to four years, um, that people weren't reading it and people weren't <laughs> going to the site and they weren't looking at it. Um, and they were coming to workouts unprepared and maybe not even showing up. You know, we didn't have, we, we ran not from our own physical location. We ran from one physical location, but we frequently changed where we met. And so people would not know. They'd go to the wrong place. And we felt like we were responsible for that, even though, honestly, we weren't. But people thought so. And, you know, customers always write in that regard. So I started writing the emails because I knew a missive from me would be read by them. And this was before everybody got fully and completely and utterly inundated by email. Um, and so it was still a little bit novel. It was almost kind of a little bit like writing a letter and you got a letter from your coach and they delineated specifics about what was going on. And my emails at that time were probably much longer and yeah, more say, along the they, lines yeah. of the way Chris's are. In fact, most of the curriculum that we ended up writing for training our coaches 
came from those emails that I wrote because it had the real nitty-gritty to it. Do you believe, and then I want to ask Chris, but do you believe, Steve, that your emails changed, the content and form changed due to the runner population that you started, you know, you have continued to coach a different set of runners? Do you? Yeah, so my content has changed primarily because I'm coaching a more advanced level athlete that understands the, the terminology that you didn't understand when you were reading it. But many, but some of them still don't. They still don't know when I write a little M, the little difference between a little M and a big M. A little M is for meters. A big M is for miles. And <laughs> I don't know how I came to that parlance. I'm not sure it's if it's... It's kind of a big difference. It's a huge difference. It's kind of a big difference. <laughs> it's a huge difference. So, you know, I think most of it is mine are so terse and so specific because I've been coaching them for a good long period of time. And they kind of And they're a, a little bit more of an advanced level runner, yeah. at least an advanced knowledge based runner so I, I do want to ask the same question to you chris unless you want to riff on that but the question would be like why did you start using the vehicle of email and and what have you seen over your trend of time hmm oh, man that makes me think back well to me email has always been a primary way of communicating with my group i don't remember not having it there's always been. We jettisoned the website for that by the time you started, really, well, hadn't no, we? No, I mean, we. I was using the site all mm. the way until we killed it, basically. <laughs> I was one of the few And I never holdouts. used it anymore. I was one of the few holdouts that actually used the site. I'm not quite dead yet. Because, yeah, <laughs> it, would, it, would, it would send email. You would basically enter the information in the site, and then it would disseminate it to the addresses versus putting it into Gmail or something. But um, anyway, so I was a holdout, <laughs> and I don't remember ever not doing it. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I'm a I'm a visual learner person. You know, I just read myself, so it's a natural way to communicate as well. In terms of how it's evolved, I think my Thursday content has definitely evolved through the years. You know, at, at why did you decide to start <laughs> writing that Thursday, which of course is different than the Tuesday night, which is right. d- is more into uh, kind of the community and the spirit of the sport, I guess. Right. And I mean, it was it was just about that. It was about trying to convey the things I couldn't convey on a Wednesday because I only see them for a short window, and it's five thirty in the morning, and people are half awake anyway when they walk in. So there was a time, actually, now that I'm talking about it, where I would give more information on Wednesday before we started. So I might spend ten or fifteen minutes explaining some things, some key points before we left to go which became a problem for multiple reasons one because people couldn't pay attention at that hour they were barely awake it's a terrible time for <laughs> people and to take in information and secondly because it was most people from my group have to go to work or get to their life oh that or take a kid to school they I thought from these emails running was your job yeah they don't have the time for me to sit there and do 15 minutes of riffing on a topic before they got to get to work and get their workout done and get to their life. So I realized that that was a bad forum for a variety of reasons and that I needed another way to communicate. Yeah, better so forum the, is something so I So the visual email kind of became a way to convey some of that information I was saying on Wednesday. So that's really important for listeners. I, I, I would think that in, in some of your coaches, for sure you, Chris, like – you're choosing to use that as a place to share information you think will increase aptitude, wisdom, mastery that they're not going to get elsewhere. Right. Right. 
Well, that starts to uh, lead to another thing, and I think, Steve, you, you probably appropriately can kick off this. Like, what are you not writing in emails? What what should the listener realize, you know, I need to, I deserve to follow up to get my value prop. I need to keep going. I think your runners know this, but I'm just curious for listeners that aren't coached by you, et cetera. Well, I, I truly believe that um, I, I want every one of my athletes to do the workout the way I write it because it's the most effective way to do the workout. And um, I truly do want them to do that. But I know that for any of a wide variety of given reasons, a person might not be able to execute the workout the way it was written. And as Chris knows, that's probably where most of the real meat of coaching happens. I would, pro- I would venture to guess he would say the same thing, that, that, that he knows that he's going to throw something up against a wall. It will stick or not. But for those it doesn't stick for, there comes the coaching opportunity to give the athlete insights to why it didn't work I- or... I kind of want to challenge you, though, Steve, because you are such a proponent of Rogue as community, the church of the long run. There is this need for the vehicle of email to be part of the community, but your emails aren't really needing to do that. I think is that a special nature of your groups that you're emailing to? Are they already in community? Um, they are in community, but I, I, that's honestly, I think that, that what Rogue does generally and what Team Rogue does is different. I truly feel like my group is they're 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 paying for a result. Um, Rogue in general, the other groups that are coached by Rogue, they're paying for runs, and some are paying for a result. Some are paying for community. Kind of pop I, quiz. Do you think your running group benefits from community or not? When yes, they, everybody you. benefits from community, but that's not supposed to happen. That. That's a residual benefit that happens on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Do you think Saturday. an email could provide more of that community benefit? No, they have to. They got to get it from me. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that that's the ego part that I probably do have is that I do know better for, than most of my athletes about what's going on with them, even when they think they're in control. And that's not because I'm all seeing omniscient. It's because um, they're in their body experiencing an a, a certain thing and then the workout goes well or goes awry and then the moment then those opportunities are there as a coach to take advantage of um those good and bad things to help get better results and to train chris and i say this on this podcast all the time you should it, it's it's not it's counterintuitive for humans to do but in running you should fail because failing means you're gaining aptitude and you're getting better at it. But the emails aren't the vehicle for fail, or do you think sometimes they are? No, I don't think that. I, I, I don't. Again, I don't. I'm not. <coughs> I, and my athlete would fail if they. I think there would be more failing if they didn't get the email. I'm not sure if that's where you're going with it, but actually, part of the question is some of those. Um, some of those routines. Some of the plays look pretty complicated and hard. Like, and you played a little bit of a reference to a game before. Do you all ever write uh, a run, r- prepare for um, an email description of a run, knowing this thing's complicated and it might really stretch and challenge in the way we need to to kind of get to that uh, uh, race day <laughs> performance? I write, I write workouts I don't think my athletes will complete um, occasionally. Don't do it very often, but um, I'm very unusual in that regard. I don't think that there's many coaches that have that in their playbook. And the purpose for that is? Uh, it provides... Most people can do are capable of way more than they know, and um, I'm honestly surprised by my team road group 
pretty, they, they pretty consistently step up to something I wasn't sure that That's they awesome. could do. What about you, Chris, on that same kind of frame? You know, do you write do you write plays on uh, particularly on the Tuesday nights that you expect are challenging in a way that's like way harder or what are you writing your sure. yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, we as we talked about on the science versus magic episode, my approach generally with workouts is is that I try to write things that are challenging but that I expect people to be able to do. It's rare that I put something down that I don't think Yeah, they you can admire do. the prediction of true, you know. Yeah, and it's ability. hard, I know. But I, but if I tell them they can do it and they do it, then that's reinforcing. But as it relates to the writing down of workouts, I think Steve and I are similar in that we write macros in big chunks. But those macros are done in shorthand where you'll say a shortcut name for a workout. Canova K's would be an example for him. Some sort of fart lake or 400 meter workout or whatever might be another example, but it's all done in shorthand. The specifics of the workout, where you're doing it, how many reps, what pace, and your rest interval are often written in real time as you're crafting that email because that kind of information needs to be informed by not just macro cycle planning, but also micro cycle planning. How's the group doing? What's the energy? What do we need in this moment? How did the last workout go? Does I mean, your what email address those micro components? Well, it, it, I mean, we don't, I don't think either of us lay out our thought process there. But for me, writing it down is a way for me to kind of check myself on, does this fit? Once I put it on paper and look at it, does it seem to be right for what I was trying to accomplish with the macro cycle planning and what I think we need given the variables around. Good question to both of you. Do you all spend a little bit of time before you actually send off your emails or do you kind of whip them out and send them? Like in other words, are there is editing going on in the content of your email? Zero editing is going on. <laughs> in my. I, I'm a slow writer and I chronically reread and read. I kind of figured the go. answers. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know sometimes when basic. Chris said that he reads that a couple times, he probably realized trying to, he's trying to figure out whether I have a added, uh, I mistyped something. Sometimes that, that comes up on Steve's <laughs> where you're like, is that a typo or did he really want us to do that? Is that really a big M? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, um, Because most of the time we're not sure. Chris, you definitely on your Wednesday nights into, I mean, excuse me, your Thursday uh, emails, you definitely hit the stride with community and sort of a broader reach. Can you speak some about the impact you, you're writing to with respect to that? Sure. I mean, I want people to feel connected to something bigger and running broadly, which is why I do that. I call it. It's always the last bullet in my Thursday email. Today's inspiration. And I'll pull a quote in. I'll pull a blog in. I'll pull in an article. I'll pull in a story to try to inspire. And sometimes that's connected to our community where I'll share a story from our group. Sometimes it's from outside. And but I think that piece in particular reminds people that they're not in this alone that they're they're in this journey and path with others whether they're at rogue or whether they're in the broader running community that are doing it with them or even as athletes i mean i shared an article two weeks ago about michaela schriffen who's the u.s prodigy skier who's gonna win two maybe three gold medals in skiing this coming olympics because the story talked a little bit about the mental side of her sport that I thought was applicable in our world. And I wanted people to be able to take those lessons into their running. So I also want to connect people to sport 
and to other athletes beyond running athletes. So that's part of it. But obviously also I'm including information about, hey, we've got these events coming up. Be there because it's a part of being a part of this community is coming to these things. You know, like we have. It'll have happened by the time this post, but we have this Austin Marathon prep talk on Friday that I'm giving and Steve's doing the, the preaching for. And <laughs> and I've, I tell I told my runners, I said, look, whether you're running Austin or not, you should come because. One, you're going to learn something that you might not have thought you'd learn, even if you're not doing the race. And two, you can support the others that are going to be doing it. You bet. That. I think that's really good. Which kind of leads to maybe the, um, the last kind of area of question I had for you on emails. You know, emails is pretty discreet. It's pretty specific. Steve, yours are very precise. X and O's, plays. Chris, you've had, you have kind of two versions. I'm sure your other coaches in the rogue um, world have other ways to express. So thank you for sharing your own. I'd, I'd like to... F- you know, finish on impact and you kind of mentioned one impact. And I think you had one Steve where sometimes when they don't get an email, it's like, Hmm, what's going on? So that would be one impact we talked about. Do y'all have just observations of the impacts and it can be impacts of email on top of overlay of other things. But I'm curious, like how's the impact of this vehicle adding to the whole picture of road? Well, I can start the, you know, there are those in my group who are waiting for the ding on their inbox on a Thursday and then we'll go straight and read the whole email, which I appreciate, but again, is not required of my athletes, <laughs> but there are those that hang on those words as they would on any of my words in person. And I think that's cool. Yeah. But as I reflect on this conversation, it's making me realize that these emails in a lot of ways are equivalent to stories around a fire for cavemen (laughs) or for people in the middle ages that were conveying history through oral words than written. And in, in our community, that's essentially what it is. It's basically our form of storytelling. That's passing the wisdom of rogue and the ethos of the community on from athlete to athlete. And, Obviously, there's those that have been around in Rogue for a long time that that kind of get it and feel it. But when somebody comes in new to the community, being connected to those words on a page is a part of introduction to our form of storytelling and our culture. And that assimilates them in a way to the community that I don't think would happen without it. You bet. That's a really nice way to say what I think in particular your Thursday night email. Steve, what do you got? Um, I think that... (coughs) sort of parachuting in on Chris's analogy, using it as a, is I just still think the email over, in all cases for me, will always be the directives and the coordinates to get to the island of lost toys that we're all trying to get to. Or I don't look at it as a Distrust alert. I don't use it as a storytelling process. But I do know that if... But you could... I, I could, I could. And you would rock. I could, and, um, but that's not what I value. I value that stuff happening. I don't know. I, I, as I listen to Chris's, you know, I've always known that Chris is, is providing much more content in the written word to his athletes, and it's incredibly valuable. Maybe I distrust the, va- the, the ability. I don't know that my – I sometimes think all well, my athletes don't really care about that, but I think they probably do. But I do think they get a little bit more out of me 
with my presence there. And if I over if I overshare, in my opinion, from an email perspective, I'll be a little nervous that I know I feel nervous that that will be this end of the game. That will be the the written word will be on the paper and that's what they needed to get. Have they ever said that to you or have they ever made comments that make you think that's true? Because I think they really enjoy the magic and I'm not sure they dislike it if it was in written form. No, it's not going to be there. It, uh, it Will it be there when it's... It might not be magic? It wouldn't be magic. It Would it be there it the oh. next morning? Would it be there the next morning when I actually see them? I, I'm just, I'm just way when I from the coaching process, I value the energy that happens on the course, um, in the in the in the. I mean, w- when Chris talks about how long it takes us to walk out the door, I get here 30 minutes before we start. Always get the whiteboard set, get everything else done, and then it's 5:30. We're out the door at 5:31. I mean, I don't talk for more than a minute, if even that. Usually, it's like, do you see what's on the board? You got it. Anybody got any questions? Everybody's like, no, don't ask Steve a question. <laughs> and then they go out the door. And then to me, from that point on, the, that's when the magic happens. I don't see it happening in the written word, but I do know how Chris's version of it does that. Um, I just don't feel. Um, it's not in the Steve. Oh, it's in me. I could definitely do it. I can, I can actually write. And I can oh, actually write. Okay. But, you know, the other, the other thing, too, is, Kevin, one thing that you didn't get is, I write a lot of emails to my athletes that aren't part of this one no, email I right. send that's out. Right. This is the group email. Correct. I don't. That's the part I distrust. Like yeah. I don't know that oh, I want to put really that well out there. Oh, that's really well said. So at the end, I got you. If you read, I don't know if you read any of the other ones that I sent. No, I, I mean didn't that's get singles. They're usually two paragraphs, three paragraphs long. Which they makes get sense. Far more into the specifics for that athlete and why that workout didn't work for that athlete. That's magic. And there's where, in the written word, I'm doing it in a, in that way. Well, so so so, can I just offer an invite sure. to the listener? That, that speaks to me. For example, if somebody reads your, your micro, macro r- run play and just has a question that probably happens, then you're really explanatory to their question. If they runner. actually get a response from me, because there's sometimes they don't get that either. <laughs> Chris is laughing. <laughs> One thing that's interesting, though, and reflecting on this, is that we, you know, we have this other group, Steve and I together, our podcast training group. That gets, oh, I've heard that, this is quite that, exciting. That gets no email. It's very exciting. We've got 27 athletes from five countries. This is interesting. It's going great. But we have zero email. And very intentionally, we set it up without email. Nice. And so they get a 30-minute extra podcast, bonus content every week to explain the schedule and what they're doing, as well as usually have other tips. And then and then they have, or they're in a Facebook group where they can ask questions of us. And if they have individual questions, they have to ask it through the group so that everybody gets the benefit of the answers from nice. us. Or people from the group can kind of share their own experiences. That shows vulnerability in that group. Yes, and it's been no, a really formative way to bond that group where they don't know each other and they haven't met us physically in person, but there's a distinct identity forming within that group. That's which Texas is awesome. community right there. Which is awesome. But there's no email, very intentionally, because we knew... But we a Facebook enough, post is... We had, well, but it's, but we, even, we don't post a lot. I mean, we, I post once a week to say, hey, the podcast is up. Maybe a few announcements. And then we answer their but posts. But then we're answering so questions. We're but not, the answer we're not is in the form of somebody posted something and you answered on that post. Right. Okay. But we're not putting out a lot of proactive content there other than the audio they're getting. Responsive the, content. Got right. it. So, but but it's working, we think. Um, <laughs> I think they would say so, to, too. They'll have to tell us, but it's, yeah. we think it's working. But it's different because it's absent an email. Completely, but yeah, I but think it's the, a, I mean, I think energy isn't, is still isn't good. E, isn't email kind of an explanation for text that's conveyed back and forth between people? I mean, 
an email, I think it, back in the day before people got into email, that is exactly, this is how it happened. They spent more time before the workout started to get all these things across. I mean, Chris didn't tell you that that email, that, that podcast is 30 minutes long. Our description is 30 minutes yes. long. So they're getting the podcast, which is basically a proxy for two it, emails because we've got the workout details as well as some of the other tips and yeah, the, other things. Yeah, the comments that you couldn't yes. possibly realize to write in the Don't email. Don't tell my team rug group that. They're going to switch over to the podcast group. They're going <laughs> to get way more value out of the podcast group. Content. But <laughs> anyway, but it's fascinating. But my point with all of that is that I don't think necessarily email is the magic thing, but it's just, you know, when you're getting information in any form from your coach, you should be soaking it up like a sponge because that's your Nicely opportunity said. to build mastery, as we talked about, and also to connect to that person that you're trusting to get you to your goals. I think I can summarize. Thank you all so much uh, for your time and insights. I mean, it's basically necessity and opportunity, right? It's necessity because you're not going to be prepared as a runner in Steve or Chris's group if you're not getting the content some way or other, and email is convenient. But it's opportunity in yours as well, Steve. I mean, I, I read between the lines of your complex little M's and big M's. There's this real opportunity to get decades, I mean, years and developed sense of what runners can do now to achieve the goals they want. And that opportunity, that, that leads to mastery, it leads to aptitude, wisdom, it leads to inspiration, it leads to motivation. All of these things are bundled in this random thing we decided to call email. But um, y'all are magic and science in my book, and I appreciate the <laughs> opportunity to be here. Look Thank how you, he gentlemen. Did that. Yeah. Look how he did Brought that. it all the way back. And I would say, too, and I would just add <laughs> that for those that aren't coached by us or aren't coached, there's magic in the coach and getting one if you don't have one and then swallowing and, you know, being fed by whatever form of communication they use. So I want to just use that as an opportunity for those that aren't coached out there to either look out for our next podcast training group, which will start in May, or find a local coach who can give you that because it's so important. It's a wrap. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. That You're was, welcome. As usual, uh, enlightening. Enlightening <laughs> and always good. We'll have to <laughs> have you on again. And if you haven't checked out episode 33 with Kevin on alchemy of running, science or magic, that's a good one too. So thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. This has been episode 61 of the Running Rogue podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.